You are listening to Conversations with Chris Marshall, where I sit down and talk to top real estate investors and professionals who work with investors to find out how to become a top investor. If you are interested in becoming a top real estate investor, then be sure to subscribe to the show and to tune in to new episodes so we can level up and start or scale to success in real estate investing. Welcome back to another episode of the Top Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Chris, and on the show today, we have Dan Huffman. Dan is a real estate investor focusing on multifamily investments, and he is also a financial planner. And I know what you're thinking, oh no, not another financial planner. Well, trust me, this is actually interesting. He's actually focused on financial independence and helping people reach financial independence now instead of at the age of retirement. So, uh, And this is great. I have a train passing by. So I'm going to get out of here and get on with the episode. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Dan, how's it going today? Good, Chris. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, Let's just dive right into the episode. Tell the audience who you are, how you got started, where you're at today, all that good stuff. Yes, I'm Dan Huffman. I'm currently a fee-only financial planner in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I also invest in real estate. And we moved here a couple of years ago from Germany and I guess been getting settled in and yeah, just kind of changing careers about that same time. So I've been going through a whole bunch of different transitions in life. Yeah. So you have an American accent. So what what took you to Germany in the first place? Yeah. So I was in the military. Um, I I spent 11 years on active duty in the army. I'm a physical therapist by trade. And then about the same time that I switched from active to the reserves was when we moved from Germany back to Colorado. And then I decided to switch careers about that time. Well, and you were a physical therapist in the army. I thought the army didn't take care of their bodies or like really any of their well-being. Like, so did they actually utilize those skills to have you help other soldiers? Way too much. <laughs> yeah, some people definitely don't take care of themselves, but they, the army actually does a great job kind of leading the way. And most people probably don't know this, but the fields of physical therapy and occupational therapy were actually born out of the military in world war one. So our histories are pretty closely tied to the military. I did not know that. Oh, air force. So uh, lots of, lots of air force family and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I'd like to get other military people on the show and, and, do a little bit of banter, but cool. Okay. So you came back from Germany. You spent some time over there. You, while you were there, you decided to get into real estate investing. What kind of got you into all that? Yeah. So I would say maybe going way back, I read rich dad, poor dad, just like so many people. And I really got some great nuggets and some great applications, but it was really a mindset shift for me. And for some reason, that book actually turned me off from real estate for a very long time. And so I think I was just skeptical about debt. I was skeptical of his take on investing in real estate. And it sounded a little too much like a get rich quick scheme. Hmm. And so I think I was a little more Dave Ramsey-ish, you know, debt averse, um, just wanting to be really cautious. But maybe about five or six years ago, it was kind of funny. We were in Germany at the time. And uh, I had been deployed. And when I came back, my car battery didn't work. And so I put a new car battery in and the radio didn't work. And it was an old vehicle and I know nothing about that. And so I just didn't even bother ever trying to fix that. So I started listening to podcasts and bigger pockets had been on my list. And so I almost immediately just got sucked in. 
Um, I love the content. And I guess I went from a skeptic to this could make sense to this makes a ton of sense to I have to do this and get started. Yeah. So that was kind of my evolution over those past maybe six or seven years. Bigger pocket seems to be another like staple in all most real estate investors' journeys. I know I consumed I don't even know how many hundreds of hours of content from bigger pockets when I was getting started and stuff. It's really great learning um, educational content on there. Um, so did you do your first deal while you were over there? Or when, when did you actually get to your first investment property? Yeah. So I was, ironically, I was afraid of being a long distance landlord. So I always thought like, I'm going to learn as much as I can. I'm going to get connected if I can. And then as soon as we moved back to the States, I'm going to start investing in real estate. Yeah. So we moved to Colorado Springs. I started looking at properties and underwriting a bunch. And I just very quickly realized this was not going to work for me. And so I had been researching other markets, talking to people, and Ohio kept popping up. And I randomly met a guy that I became really good friends with even to this day. And he was actually a missionary in Thailand and owned 12 doors in Ohio. And so I was really intrigued how he could be a long distance landlord as a missionary and own yeah. 12 doors. And so we got to talking and I started looking more seriously at Ohio and ended up finding my first property in Ohio. Wow, so, that's really cool. What yeah, was your, what was that first property? So it was an 11 unit building that I bought and I learned now it was off a wholesaler. Um, so a lot of lessons learned there. I think I could have played a little more hardball on the purchase if I had caught some different signs earlier on in that process. But yeah, it was an 11 unit building and the basement was basically empty. And so it was full of crap. And so my value add is to add two more units in the basement. So I'm hoping that by February or March, it's going to be a 13 unit building fully rented out. Oh, so, so how long ago did you end up purchasing that building? This was in July of 2022. Okay. And then I found my contractors probably by August or September. And I think they got started last October. So the past year they've been working on renovating it. Gotcha. So did, it took you almost four years before you found the property to pull the trigger on at first once you got back to the stateside? Well, we were in Germany for about four and a half years. And okay. so I would say those four and a half years, I was really just learning. And then it was just two years ago that we moved back. Just two years. Almost exactly two years ago, okay. last month. And then um, I was here for maybe six months and I had looked at yeah. a couple of deals. I almost put an offer in on a couple and then got gun shy. And so... But then this deal popped up and I'm so glad I looked at so many deals because this one made so much more sense. So it was obvious. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, did you end up submitting any offers before this on any other properties or was this the first one that you kind of took from like, all right, I'm actually going to submit the offer and it just happened to, you know, walk all the way through the process to closing. So this was actually the first one I submitted an offer on. Nice. There was another multifamily property that I also found in Ohio, maybe a couple months before. And I was about to submit an offer and it went off the market. Oh. And honestly, looking back now, I'm really glad it did because just looking at it that seriously just made me look at things so much differently. Yeah. And so I think I actually learned a lot through that process. And I think I dodged a bullet. In fact, well, why do you think you dodged the bullet? What was it about that property that? You didn't well, think you liked. so it ended up selling for about 200,000 more than what I was going to even offer. 
And then about six months later, I kept checking on that property and it was mm -hmm. listed back on the market for the exact price that they had bought it. Oh. And so there was an issue with a retaining wall um, that went to the bottom row of apartments. And I could see that it was leaning in the pictures and I was guessing maybe a hundred thousand or more of CapEx on that. Yeah. And so I don't know if something became of that or what it was, but it was definitely not a flip. It was definitely not, mm. I don't know. But I'm may have needed to be torn down and there's some serious foundation uh, rehab costs in there. It sounds like. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So you purchased, uh, you got this 11 unit. You're currently in the renovation stage of it. Have you done any other properties where, where you at as a whole now you're just working on this one project? So I did end up buying a single family home in Austin, Texas. And that may sound like a complete shift or pivot from the Ohio multifamily, but my in-laws live in Austin. And so I've always been kind of intrigued by that market. Yeah. And we had looked at moving there from Germany, but we ended up moving to Colorado. And so I'd already kind of started looking at that market a bit. And I started to view it maybe as a diversification move, doing a little bit of single family home or small multifamily in Austin. And then maybe focusing on larger mid-sized multifamily in Ohio. Yeah. So I did buy a, a cheap house um, off a wholesaler, got a great deal on that one. And then I finished renovating that a few months ago. And then I've been taking a couple offers from people to buy it and then it's listed for rent. So I'm still in the process of renting it out. But all in all, that's been a pretty good experience as well. Gotcha. So how did you go to... You're you're in Colorado Springs. Did you how how did you find that property in Ohio? Where how's your team structured? Like, I've talked to a lot of investors who invest far away, but it's like there are tens of deals in now, and they have systems and processes in place. This is your first one, so like, you're 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 fresh. You just went through all this process. Like, how did you get and invest from far away? Um, this is something I'm looking at doing right now. So like, you're you're just right on the next step in front of me. So this is super convenient timing. Yeah. So I operate under the perspective that everything is figure outable. So yeah. I don't really know for sure how everything will work out, but I definitely have a deep belief that I can help it and facilitate it working out. So yeah, when I bought the property in Ohio, I had been calling all the property managers that I could find within like a 30 mile radius. And it's in a little smaller town, about 45 minutes north of Columbus. So it's kind of right outside the hot zone. And no one would manage that property. But I believe the property made sense. So I figured I will find a way. And so I honestly had to be pretty creative because I didn't have a team in advance. Um, my real estate agent that I used was from Columbus. And so he was pretty helpful. He connected me with some people. Uh, but none of them actually ended up panning out. So I bought the property. Less than two weeks later, I flew down there to see it. So I bought it sight unseen, which is definitely not something I recommend. <laughs> but um, while I was there, the property's on a great location on a corner, like one block away from downtown. It's across the street from a church, across another street from a police station. And so I knew my tenants had been parking in the church's parking lot. And so I made it a point to go over there and meet the pastor and so just through our conversations, I asked him if there was anyone in the church that he knew of and trusted that he thought might be willing to be a property manager part-time because it was, you know, not really a full property when I bought it. 
And then also if you had any recommendations for contractors. So he called me back that night and he had a couple of names for me and I met them the next day and it was a perfect fit. So I'm actually in the process now of building a property management company. And so I'm working with my current property manager and we're going to try to build something together so that she can have a business that she can scale. And then as I scale in that area, she can work with me and kind of know my standard and what I'm looking for in a property manager. Yeah, that's awesome. So did you, to find that property where you just scroll in the MLS and you found the agent and that had the listing or did you call agents? Like, where did you start looking for properties out in that area? So, yeah, it's a good question. It did actually start locally. So I go to some local real estate meetups and I had met a couple great real estate agents locally in Colorado Springs. And when I told one of them that I was looking in Ohio, he said he knew a great guy. So he referred me to his friend in Ohio. Um, they happen to be with EXP. So I know that they got a commission or referral commission for themselves. And uh, I really just hit it off with the guy in Ohio. And he's a really great high speed young real estate agent doing great. And so I found the listing myself off of his, you know, email list. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of took care of everything for me in Ohio, obviously. And he walked the property for me and gave me a lot of good feedback and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So um, now what did some of the numbers look like? I It's not very often I actually get, when I first started doing this podcast, I thought I'd dive into the numbers more often than I actually do. It's not very often we end up talking about like one specific property so much. So I'm, I'm kind of excited because I'm a huge numbers dude. I love learning about the numbers. So like walk me through what the project looked like in the beginning. Like where did you see everything kind of playing out? Do you remember your expectations for like purchase and rehab and rent and all that stuff? Oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I knew the property. It was definitely like a class C and I might even top on, add on a minus to that. So it was in pretty rough shape. And um, so I was guessing about fifteen to 20000 of renovation costs per unit. And then I knew that those other units in the basement that were full of crap, I knew that they were probably that way because the plumbing was bad. And it was. <laughs> and the, there had been no updated electrical in those. And so... The building was a 1900 build and then it had been transformed over time into like teacher's housing. Mm. So it was a bunch of really small one bedroom apartments and then a handful of two bedroom apartments. And they had really weird kitchen layouts that were like six feet wide and maybe 10 feet long. Mm. And so I knew that we were going to have to take down walls to open it up into more of an open concept so that they were really nice one, one units. Yeah. So I was guessing around 15 to 20 grand of renovation costs per unit. Um, The property was listed for like 860 or something. And I think one of my lessons learned is that it sounded really cheap compared to Colorado numbers. So I immediately looked at that and liked it. But knowing what I know now, I could have definitely negotiated down even further. So I ended up buying it for 730. And I feel like a better purchase price could have been like 680 something would have been fair. or I think at least a steal. I think I got a fair price for it, but I think it, I could have bought it better. Wow. Definitely would have recommended that people have, I guess, you know, I got the inspections done, but I should have had a contractor up front, go check those out and get me better estimates instead of me just, you know, Googling stuff, looking on home wise, kind of seeing what the average cost of different things is. Um, yeah, I think that would have, that would definitely be a big lesson learned there. 
that I'll apply on the next one. Yeah. So you're at 730 purchase price, 15 to 20 K per unit and renovation. So like what a 250 K in renovation costs. So right about a million dollars in is what you had expected to get it to where you were hundred percent leasable. What did you expect the the lease rates to kind of come on average per unit? So when I bought it, the rents were between six and seven hundred dollars um, per unit, and that included utilities. So I was thinking I could get around nine hundred to a thousand bucks a unit. And so, so what did end up happening? And I will add to so I did plan on about forty five thousand dollars for the plumbing under the foundation. Yeah. And that was honestly right about spot on. I ended up paying 42 grand to have them cut through the foundation and redo yeah. all the plumbing in the basement or below the foundation for the basement units. But, um, oh yeah, so sorry, I kind of blanked on where we were going with that. But yeah, so as I've turned over units, they've gone from about 700 for the one bedrooms to about a thousand to a thousand fifty. And that's okay. still with utilities included. And so I'm accounting about 125 bucks a month right now in utilities. And then once the property's fully rented out, I'll probably start doing rubs and taking advantage of that. Yeah. So but you pay for the utilities on this one here? I do. Yep. Does this... So then well, let's go into um, the financing math. You purchased this in 2022, you said? Yeah. So what were, what were the rates then when you were looking at this the, for, for a commercial loan? Yeah. So I remember I had a couple offers for around 7.6 to around yeah. eight. And I think it was probably partially due to my lack of experience gotcha. in this being the first one. So what ended up happening is because we're a little debt adverse still, and we ended up having the cash that wasn't invested, I ended up paying cash for this. Wow. And so kudos. Yeah, when I ran the numbers, taking on the debt really didn't make it look very good at all. Yeah. And so I just decided for it being my first time, not know what I'm doing for sure, you know, kind of being like book smart, but can I really pull this off? I just decided not to go into it with a, a mortgage. Yeah. And so, yeah, paid cash, been fortunate to cash flow the renovations. And then my plan is probably sometime next year or perhaps the following year, depending on what interest rates are doing to do a cash out refinance. Yeah, absolutely. My exit strategy. Yeah, we'll pull all that capital back out. Um, okay, so let's say we were going, well, before we play scenarios out, looking back now, obviously with hindsight now, commercial loans, probably what, 9%, maybe 10, you know, especially for a first time, you know, uh, borrower. Would, would you have considered a loan knowing now which knowing now that like oh okay this isn't as scary as i thought you know where we're starting to get some of this experience underneath our belt maybe i should have done the loan obviously if we factored in for another two points you know in the last year of increase you know the numbers would change drastically but at that time seven seven point five eight percent what do you what do you think do you think you would have went if you had known just a little bit more had a little bit a little bit more confidence yeah. Yeah, I, I do think I would have. Um, and here's why, you know, being a financial planner, mm -hmm. and by the way, you know, this is not financial advice and yeah. anything like that, right? But being a financial planner, I focus on returns and then various returns to kind of see. So 
I've become a lot more comfortable with taking on leverage on real estate to enhance the return. And I understand better how that works. And now that I've seen the process play through and that if I, I am putting more money into each unit than what yeah. I had. So instead of 15 to 20, it's been probably around 25 to 28 on average. But I also decided to add air conditioning. So I'm adding mini splits to each unit and those are expensive. And so knowing what I know now, I would have rather put down less and used a lot more of that money for the renovation costs rather than now having to cash flow that or sell some stocks and do that. Yeah. So with all this added um, renovation costs, why didn't you choose to opt in for, you know, splitting the utilities amongst each of the units? So the property, again, very class C minus, we'll say. Yeah. A lot of the tenants that were there were that level of tenant, you know, not to sound terribly judgy. Yeah. Um, so we had a lot of turnover right away, and I don't think they would have gone for that at all. Mm-hmm. And just in this kind of blue-collar town, that's kind of a norm. Oh, okay. A lot of people either have very bad credit or just a hard time doing that stuff. So I decided that I would just include that since that's what had been going on. But again, my plan is to at some point start the rubs program and start billing them back. Gotcha. Hey, let me cut in here real quickly. If you are a starting or scaling real estate investor, I want to highly encourage you to take a look at our software, Ari. You can find it at www.areii.io. We take care of everything from analyzing properties to doing your bookkeeping to connecting you with lenders and helping you get the lowest rate possible for financing your deals. We do it all. We're there for you. We are your partner, your mentor, your assistant, right in your pocket. Take a look, learn more, www.areii. It's pronounced Ari. Thanks. Now back to the episode. So if did you happen to have figured out what your uh, projected like cash on cash return or RI would have been if you had financed out um, the property? Yeah. So I do remember you're, <laughs> I'm having to yeah, I'm trying. remembering back that far. Um, I probably have the pro forma saved actually somewhere. Cause it sounds like based off the, the rents, you are, you're right at 1%, maybe a little under the 1% rule, maybe like 0.95, 0.97, something like that. Yep. Um, so I was wondering like, okay, you know, doing doing all cash is nice but then where do you weigh the pros and cons to like cash on cash return and all this different stuff but obviously now we we have hindsight like interest rates are in high right now for for commercial debt i mean uh, there's tons of apartment buildings and stuff like that going under every week it seems like you know i don't know exactly what ohio's you know situation looks like but california um florida's doing pretty good still knocking on my desk here. Um, you know, but there's, there's definitely places that are struggling with these higher rates. So I'm just trying to think through like trying to do some like backyard baseball, like where, where could it have, yeah. uh, you know, been at and, and do we think it's would have been worth it to kind of go to the lending side? Um, 
you know, without looking too much at where, where we are at now today. Yeah, definitely. So what I do remember is when I was going to put 20% down and then finance the rest at, I think it was right at 7.65. Um, when I was doing that, the return was actually fairly comparable to mm -hmm. when I was actually going all cash, but having it renovated. So I was kind of looking at it where it is currently and then where it will be, I thought in two years. Mm -hmm. And so I'm still kind of on that process. And so, and to be honest, you know, it was, I think it had nine tenants in it when I bought it in the 11 units ended up evicting or kicking out four of those units within the first couple of months. Um, and so I just knew there was not going to be much cash coming in actually. And so it really hasn't been a ton of cash flow yet, but this year it's looking like maybe 68,000 or so is what I'll end up making. Nice. So when I was, I do remember when I was looking at it, the debt was getting up high enough to where if I paid cash and saved on the interest rate, it was a little bit worse than the internal. And I focused mostly on internal rate of return. Okay. So I kind of look at the cash on cash as a one-time thing. And then I just want to optimize it for long-term. So I never get caught mistakenly focusing on cash on cash and thinking that's always how my return will look. Cause every year it actually worsens a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, I focus more on the IRR, I guess. Can you explain real, real quick for the listeners, the difference between cash on cash and internal rate? Yeah. So, you know, the easy example is million dollar property. Say you make a hundred grand a year, that's a 10% cash on cash. Yeah. But next year, as you go on again, if the property appreciates a little bit, or if you have to put more money into it, that's where you have to, you know, carry the cash flows forward. And then you actually would discount them to today to get an IRR. So whenever I look at what the property could do in the future, I want to see an IRR that's high enough to where it makes sense to me. Yeah. The cash on cash, I think is a good decision-making tool, like a screen. So kind of, yes, it makes sense or no, it doesn't. But then looking at that IRR, I think you get better information for a longer term, kind of pro forma look at something. Yeah. Cash on cash, like to me, has always been something useful of like, okay, well, I could put 50 grand into this apartment complex or I could put 50 grand into the stock, you know, which, you know, this is going to give me a good decision today. But if I game plan stuff out for long term, that's where IRR comes in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then cool. I think, too, like over time, the IRR can kind of erode. So I'm, you know, forcing a lot of appreciation. So I expect to force about three or 400,000 of appreciation net of what I'm putting into this building. So I, yeah. I anticipate it'll be worth around 1.5 to 1.6 mm. when I'm done. And I think I'll have put about 1.2 to 1.25 in there. And so what most people miss too, is that the IRR might be very high for the first like three or four years. Once you do that, you force the appreciation, the rents go up, they're stabilized. But yeah. every year after that, then rents only go up maybe two to 3% a year and the building may only appreciate two to 3%. So you start to get this erosion of that high early IRR. And so that's where I look to what type of exit strategy I, I need. So either a 1031 or a cash out refi. Is that something that you're you're looking at already uh, for like a two to three year window of, of either one of those strategies? I mean, I would say, yeah, for sure. My preference is the cash out refi. I would love to keep this property. I think it's a great one and yeah. it's I think it's going to cash flow pretty well. Um, even once I refinance it or finance it. But um, 
yeah, I just got to be mindful that I can't have that much equity. So, and once we get going too, like I want to look at my return on equity and make sure there's not untapped equity I'm leaving on the table. Yeah. And that's also why I don't recommend just looking at your initial cash inflow to the property and kind of looking at what you get back because over time it should appreciate. And yes. so you want your investment to appreciate with it, not to stay the same as it was. Otherwise you've got that untapped, you know, equity again, that you're not profiting from. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, cool. We got to do a little bit of what I like talking about numbers. Sorry, listeners, if you guys just like to hear the motivational or uh, uh, tactical stuff, but man, I, I love learn, listening to numbers, how people think about like how they're analyzing deals. I think that's something super powerful to learn about is like, okay, what numbers do you focus on? Because there's a lot of different numbers that you could focus on. DSCR was something that I really focus on in single family rental properties. Um, we didn't even talk about yours down there. And you said Austin, is that where your yep. single family is? Yep. Um, did you end up financing that one out? Nope. Because nope. it was a wholesaler had to pay cash kind of uh, right immediately. Yeah. And then we ended up cash flowing the renovation on that too. Yeah. How, how long have you had that one? Just over a year. One of my biggest lessons is that I think I did too much all at the same time. And my wife would certainly agree with that statement. So um, I think I was juggling both of these properties and trying to keep things straight and trying to make decisions. And I didn't really have a great team in Austin. So I found a great contractor, but we didn't speak the same language. Uh, <laughs> and so he did a really great job, but I was having to research and design things, but I was also trying to build my own business at the same time. And so something was always, I was always missing something. Gotcha. And so on both of these real estate projects, I just let time pass a little too quickly. Gotcha. So I definitely recommend either outsourcing that or making sure you have a contracting team that you really, really depend on and can trust. Yeah. Some of build, if you're going to invest far away, focus on one area at a time, I guess, build up the team in that area. And then because you're building two teams in two vastly different areas. Um, that's what, a thousand yeah. miles apart or so? Oh yeah. I don't even know how far. Yeah. That's, that's a good, chunk, yeah. good chunk away. Um, okay, cool. Well, I kind of want to get into more of like what it is that you do in your actual business. So you have a financial planning company. I really like, um, like I've talked to some financial planners and stuff, but yours sounds really cool. So do you want to kind of like dive into what it is that you actually do? Yeah, Attract sure. Businesses? And if you don't mind telling me just before I say anything, I'm just curious what sounds different to you or what sounds cool to you. So I'm a huge like financial freedom person and it's like on your page, like four or five times, just on this first homepage about financial independence, financial freedom. It actually sounds like a financial planner that is talking to the person that I want to be. I want to be financially free at like 30. I don't want to be financially free when I'm retired. I want to enjoy life now. That's what this sounds like. You're trying to work towards your building strategies around real estate investing in businesses and entrepreneurship, not around investing in stocks. Um, so it sounds like a different type of financial um, advisor, which is really cool. Okay, awesome. That's what I'm trying to communicate. Cool. <laughs> so good to hear that. Did, did a good job. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. You have no many, no idea how many hours I've wasted reading like Donald Miller's books, and I would say they're not wasted hours. Just a lot of hours trying to figure out how to communicate a message clearly. But um, 
Yeah, so I was, I say I'm a product of the financial independence community. I think back in like 2015, I found the Choose FI Facebook group. So if anyone's listening and not familiar, I highly recommend joining that Choose FI Facebook group. Um, it was just so foundational for getting that mindset of financial independence. And I think the theme of my life is, is that I find great ideas and I'm very slow to adapt to them. And so it takes a long time for it to settle in for me. But I found that on a, on a deployment in 2015, and I just liked it because of investing and being frugal and kind of the emphasis on values-based spending. And so that resonated with me, but it was really from 2015 till like 2017, I started a blog on financial independence. And over time, that blog, I just enjoyed researching things, you know, from being a physical therapist, you know, I have a doctorate and I've published a couple of peer reviewed papers. And so I'm very, I tend to be analytical. Mm -hmm. And what bothered me about the financial independence space was that there were so many like feel good, exciting type blogs about financial independence, you know, so many stories that people would tell, but I wanted to know the facts and I wanted to know the numbers. And so I started a blog and started having more of a more objective or quantitative approach to it. And then I kind of morphed into what's called a factor investing strategy blog. And so again, this is not investment advice, but that was my approach. That's what my blog was about. And it was really from maybe like 2018 to 2020, really 2019 is when it hit me. But as I went through that, I started to realize like more of my why for FI is what I call it. Yeah. And so I was actually on a second deployment and I was in Afghanistan and I was reading The Simple Path to Wealth. And so for those of you who haven't read it, highly recommend that book. Excellent mindset book. Um, but I was reading it and it was just at a tough time where I had requested to split my deployment in half because my wife was pregnant and alone in Germany. And I had deployed with the understanding that we would split my deployment in half with another physical therapist that could go. And my request to split it got denied. And so that week we we're flying out to this little tiny outpost, like towards Pakistan. And I was reading the simple path to wealth. And there's multiple times where JL Collins shared that he took sabbaticals in his life and he would just quit working for one to two or three years and then return to work. And everything worked out for him because he had been saving, he had been investing, he had lived a frugal life, you know? And so it just hit me on that flight. Like we have been doing this and you know, for what? And it just hit me. I was like, I think this is it. Like, I don't want to be in a position where I can't control the most important things in my life anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to be at some colonel's whim who says, no, this guy who I don't even know can't split his deployment. So he can't be home with his wife to have their baby for the first time ever. And so in that moment, I was like, that's financial freedom. Like I have the ability to walk away from this. Like I'm not stuck. You know, I loved what I was doing. I felt great helping soldiers. I felt great, you know, making the impact that I could make. But I was just like, I can do th something different on my own terms and not be stuck. And so that was, yeah, that flight, I was kind of like, I'm done probably with active duty. And so not to get off on that whole story, but I was also able to talk to a different colonel over there. And we had a really good conversation and he told me the next day to submit my paperwork again and the other colonel signed it. 
And so it was like a huge blessing to, nice. to be able to split. So yeah, after that, like, I feel like that just really woke me up to the whole power of financial freedom. And so when I talk about financial freedom, you know, building wealth is something, you know, cause you kind of need a little bit of wealth to, to be free, but you don't have to have made it to be free. And so that's one thing I want people to know. But the second thing is, is like, it's all about creating your ideal life now. And then just being able to structure your life according to your values and live those out. And so that is, that's my really long story for how I got to the financial planning firm. So that was obviously something I'm very passionate about. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I've structured my financial planning firm is just to help people, you know, gain clarity on their values, gain clarity on their mission. I call it the cornerstone mission statement because the cornerstone determines the direction for everything else that you build on the building. And so it's kind of that foundation. So, so many good uh, parallels with real estate, I feel like in cornerstone, yeah. but also from a value standpoint. And so, yeah, it's just about helping people figure out what they want and then creating their life to attain it at where they are now and just making sure they do that wisely. Why help other people with this? Like you're on your path to achieve it yourself, or if you you, you may have achieved it already. I mean, buying the apartment outright and living off the cash flow, like that's would make a lot of people financially free. So why why reach back? Yeah. So yeah, one of the battles I had to overcome with the financial independence community was I used to call it the fire community, and I still do when I'm talking to people because people are familiar with fire. Yeah. But I never liked the retire early part. I always struggled with that. And I just didn't feel like that was, I don't want to say right, but I feel like there's always a purpose for us to be doing things and achieving things. And I know in psychology, like the ability to achieve, the ability to work with people, those are some of the most fulfilling aspects of our life. And so I never wanted to not do anything. And I think as I started helping people and it was a little bit through my blog. And then as I started leading more classes at the hospitals that I worked at and for young soldiers and young families, it was just so rewarding. And I started to realize like so many people want the information that I have and it's really difficult to mass produce that um, in an effective way. So the blog was one way of communicating that. But then also it was just so rewarding to talk to people one-on-one -on -one and help them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that experience on that flight, that day that I realized I probably needed to get off active duty, I also realized I immediately already have something that I'm passionate about that I can go to instead of go from. So it really just clicked in my mind. And once it clicked that I could go to helping people, then it was so easy to walk away from the military from being a physical therapist. And I, I am still in the reserves. I am still a physical therapist. So I still do practice some and I do enjoy it. But now it's kind of more relaxing to do that. Yeah. Whereas the planning is my primary thing. So yeah, it's just really rewarding to help people. And when you see them kind of get it and that they get excited to see that they can actually create their ideal life and they can start taking these steps that'll move them closer to the goal. Like that's so good. Yeah. So that's why so I love talking. You, you align people's spines and then you align their finances and it all just works out. It's good stuff right. all the way around. Yeah. Cool. And stop shop. <laughs> awesome. 
Man, this was a really good episode. Uh, I want to move into our last few questions here that I like to ask everyone. So first off, do you have any last advice for any real estate investors that are starting out or scaling? Yes, I do. <laughs> I tend to be long-winded if that's not surprising for your listeners by this point. But I think my short version is, is to really get clear on that mission and know what you're going towards. You know, I've met some people and worked with some people who have what most people would consider a good number of properties, you know, like 20 to 30, but yet they're not financially free because they're so inefficient at how they're doing that. They don't know where their money's going. They don't have a control on their expenses and they're actually busier than what they would have been doing at a W-2 job. So I think if you don't have clarity on what you're actually looking for, then I, I think you'll have a really hard time stumbling onto it. Yeah. So I really think intentionality is key at first and just getting very, very clear on what you want your ideal life to look like. And then second, I think you've got to have a strategy. I feel almost like a hypocrite saying this because um, I definitely DIY'd it and I made plenty of mistakes. And I think financially we could be in a better position if I had actually hired a professional earlier. On the other hand, I if we had done that, I don't know if I would have pushed myself to learn as much as what I did. But for those people who don't want to learn as much or they don't want to learn, especially about the taxes, like I think you just need to, I think it's best said, don't step over dollars to pick up pennies, you know, like get the right people to help you do this stuff right. And so, yeah, I think getting clear on the clarity, you know, getting the professional help if needed is definitely a big thing. And then just having a strategy and not winging it. You know, I, I'm sure you see this too, but I talked to a lot of people who are looking all over the nation for investments. And some of them are single family homes. And then they're like, oh, maybe here's a fourplex or here's a trailer park. But yeah. there's like no direction. They're a jack of all trades, a master of none. They're going to get at best a mediocre deal or occasionally maybe they'll hit a home run. But like they're going to miss out on all those solid base hits that they could have had if they had just focused and had a real strategy. Yeah. So yeah, buy right, manage right, finance right. Yeah, great advice. Um, where can people find out more about you or connect with you? So my website is probably the best place. You can schedule a free intro call with me and I'm glad to just talk. Um, or you can shoot me an email on my Get Started page. But the website is cornerstonefiplanning.com. So again, the word cornerstone and then FI for financial independence and then planning.com. Yeah, and I'll put that in the show notes too. And then lastly, is there a question that I should have asked you that I didn't think about, slipped my mind that you think I should have asked you? I can't think of one. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all, that's all right. This is a, a question I stole from another podcast host that I like a lot. And uh He's in the same building I am. And so, yeah, nice. give him credit in other episodes. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Well, Dan, thanks for hanging out with me for a while today. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, Chris. This was great. I love having these kinds of conversations. Yeah, thanks for letting me dive into some of the numbers with you. Not many, uh, I don't do that with too many guests anymore. So, um, got me excited. Talking numbers makes me want to go analyze some properties. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, cool. Awesome. See you around. Hey, see you. Bye. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Top Investor Podcast. If you are a real estate investor, we want to connect with you. Like our favorite quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson says, every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that I learn from him. We believe we can learn something from everyone, so even if you are just starting out on your real estate investing journey, head over to the link in the description to connect with us, and we would love to hop on a call with you. Also, be sure to subscribe to the show and follow us on the socials at Top Investor Pod. While you're at it, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review so we can help more people become top investors. Until next time, this is Chris Marshall signing off. Go out and become a top investor. See you around.